that's what we all strive for to, to kind of you know test your game under under the heat under the gun and you know when when a big tournament's on the line and, and you're not always going to succeed but it's it's a lot of fun when you do Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the USGA Golf Journal podcast. I'm Dave Giancola, joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Mike Trosel. Today, we have a treat. 2003 U.S. Open champion, and most recently, your reigning 2021 U.S. Senior Open champion, Jim Furyk, joins us. We talk about his latest USGA title, his exemption into next year's U.S. Open at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, and Oakmont Country Club, a place near and dear to him as a native of Western Pennsylvania, which also happens to be the site of next week's U.S. Amateur Championship. Without further ado, here's Jim Furyk. Jim, thanks for joining us. First and foremost, congratulations on adding another USGA championship to your already impressive resume. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Now, Jim, you joined that elite group of eight players to win the U.S. Open and the U.S. Senior Open. The list that includes Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer and Hale Irwin, some of the greats in the game. What does it mean to you to add your name to that list as you were able to close out the U.S. Senior Open at Omaha Country Club? Oh, it's definitely humbling. I mean, seeing the list of players that have been able to win both the U.S. Open and the Senior Open, and then to join that is uh, is pretty amazing. A lot of those folks are, you know, idols and and my heroes in the game. So, uh, you know, to add your list or add your name to a list like that is just incredible. And of course, you've you've done this many times in uh, in your PGA Tour days. But the pressure of trying to close out a, a major championship. What was it like being in that situation again on that big stage of a USGA championship? Did things just kind of start to come back to you as you were playing that final round at Omaha? Yeah, I I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about maybe, you know, I I guess transferring over to say the champion store at age 50 is, is really getting myself in those situations, maybe a little bit more often, you know, playing against, uh, the younger guys on the PGA tour, I might've had a, a couple chances a year to win a golf tournament. Um, you know, I've been able to, to win a few times here in the last 12 months uh, on the champions tour. So I've put myself kind of in contention and under the gun and in the heat. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's what we enjoy. That's what's fun about the game. And, and so, um, you know, I, I could fall back on some of those experiences in the last, uh, in the last couple of years where I have had chances to win. And then uh, of course, as you talked about a major championship, I could fall back on the experiences I've had, uh, it's a Oh three at, at, uh, Olympia fields and, and also a number of different us open. So it's, it's, uh, it's what we all strive for to, to kind of, you know, test your game under, under the heat, under the gun. And, you know, when, when a uh, big tournament's on the line and, and you're not always going to succeed, but it's, it's a lot of fun when you do. Some other folks that were tested that week were the ground staff at Omaha Country Club with that storm that tore through, lost TV towers, trees, among other things. Uh, they did a great job getting the, the track back uh, into shape. Uh, how did you think the course played that week, uh, and how did it rebound from that storm? Well, I thought what they were able to do was amazing. I mean, uh, I was, you know, I think everyone was awake in the middle of the night with, uh, I mean, those winds were 80, 90 miles an hour. My hotel was shaking, and it, it felt like... Uh, I mean, I immediately grabbed my phone and checked to see if there was a tornado or what was going on. Um, you know, the, 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 the hotel was vibrating. So I was wondering if I needed to kind of, you know, get to the stairwell or, or kind of in the interior of the hotel. So to see the morning, to see the damage, it was done, the trees down the towers. Um, they were, you know, 
able to kind of get that golf course back in the tournament shape very quickly and, and make it safe for uh, the fans, safe for the players to be out there. And, and honestly, you couldn't notice anything about the golf course really that changed as far as, uh, you know, there, there was no damage to the golf course. Uh, so they did a wonderful job. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, I guess Omaha country club by nature is a very difficult layout. I mean, kind of, when I think of uh, layouts on say U.S. Open, you think of like Oakmont Country Club, where you don't have to worry about the scores going too low at Oakmont. Uh, I think it's the other way around. And and at Omaha Country Club, I think you know really the setup staff for the USGA really you know, they're probably worried about the scores maybe being a little too high on that golf course rather than you know trying to keep us around par. So um, it's it's difficult. It's a hilly golf course, extremely se- severe greens. Um, you know, I felt like it was set up like a lot of the U S opens that, that I had seen in the past. It was my first senior open. And, and uh, I guess the rough, you know, talking to some of the players, the rough was very penal and, and maybe even more, more severe than some of the, the senior opens they had played. I felt like the fairways had an ample width, you know, they, they weren't 28 yards wide and, and narrow as could be, but a lot of them were on slopes. You still had to kind of work the ball into the fairway and, and if you didn't hit the fairway, you weren't going to have a good week. Uh, the, the rough was just too penal, and and the greens were were so severe you couldn't control the ball out of the out of the rough. So uh, it, it reminded me of uh, of playing U.S. Opens throughout my whole career. Well, one thing you did that week was your second round 64. Always tough at any golf course to shoot around in the mid to low 60s, but a 64 in a USGA championship, certainly very noteworthy. And Jim, when people think about you you and your golf game, the distinguishing characteristics, I think they think about your swing, but they also probably think about your caddy, Mike Fluff Cowan, uh, and the team that you have out there who's been on your bag for more than 20 years. What has Fluff been able to do for you to kind of help you out in the golf course and put you in the right, the right mindset to shoot those great scores out there. Yeah, I think we've made a great, a great team really. Um, Fluff, uh, some of the, you know, some of the things I've said about him throughout his career is, uh, I mean, he's a very likable person. I, I think, uh, you know, sitting in the caddy yard, you're not going to hear too many complaints about Mike. He gets along with everyone. He enjoys what he does for a living. Uh, and he, you know, he ultimately, he enjoys coming to work every day and, and, and being on the bag. And so, uh, I think that attitude definitely rubs off on the people that he works with. Um, and he's a bit of a calming influence. I mean, Mike's got kind of a, uh, I guess his cadence is kind of slow. He, he thinks before he speaks, he doesn't blurt things out. So when I get under pressure, when I get nervous, when I get tight, uh, you know, I think all of us, we want, we want to move quicker. We want to hit the shot fast. We, we tend to speed up and Mike's kind of that nice calming influence. He, he doesn't change much whether I'm, I'm shooting 60 or 80. He's, he's pretty much the same person on the bag. And that helps me, I think under pressure. And that helps me when, when I get fired up, when I get wanting to go, I, I start to move a little too quickly. And Mike kind of keeps me not really slowing down, but he keeps me in that same rhythm and that same pace because he doesn't change much. Well, he's certainly a fan favorite. It's not too often you see the caddy interviewed uh, after a major championship, and Fluff's one of those guys they'll pick out of the crowd every time. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you, you bring it home in Nebraska, and one of the perks, obviously, is exempt into next year's U.S. Open at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. You played there in your second Ryder Cup in 1999. What do you remember about the course? It was a while ago, and, and what do you think are those characteristics that makes it a U.S. Open venue to be contended with? Yeah, I, I love the golf course. I want to say the last U S open there was probably a Curtis strange one, maybe in the late eighties, like 88. 
that sound about right? Spot on. So it's been a while. Um, been a long time since uh, a U.S. Open, at least, has been there. I think there's been a, a U.S. Amateur played. Um, but I love the golf course, and, and I have wonderful memories. I mean, uh, my, my second Ryder Cup, uh, the first time I was uh, on a winning team and, and that you know amazing come-from-behind victory where we were four points down going into singles, kind of, uh, you know, everyone, the, the media, everyone had kind of left us for dead that we had no chance of coming back because it's, you know, no one had ever come back from that far before and just, uh, in, in a singles, singles, uh, matchup. So, uh, just some great memories. And, uh, I have not been on the golf course or been to Brookline since that day in 1999. So, uh, it'll be, hopefully I'll get a chance to get up there before the U S open, but if not, uh, you know, I have some great memories going back and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure there's been some renovations done to the golf course. I'm sure there's been some added length. <laughs> so, uh, that's the part I probably won't be looking forward to as a 50, uh, probably a 52 year old, I guess, by the time I get there next year. But, uh, I have some great memories that I'm looking forward to playing in another U S open. Yeah. Jim fear, a golf historian. You're right. The U S amateur did go there and I, a lot of folks haven't seen it. Obviously the general fans haven't seen it on television in quite some time since that U S amateur. But, you know, I don't know if you have Tom Brady on speed dial, but he did play that once or twice in his time in new England before he went down to Tampa Bay. So you might be able to pick his brain on the changes since 1999. I just wanted to, to change pace just a bit. You, you joined the, the winner's circle in the U S senior opens this year with your fellow Arizona Wildcat, Annika Sorenstam, perhaps the best to ever do it. Just a tremendous victory at Brooklawn Country Club in Connecticut. We heard a bear down and bring it home on the broadcast. Uh, what has Annika meant for the sport and you know, what does it mean for, for Arizona? And you you guys overlapped uh, down at U of A. Yeah, I think we spent uh, a couple of years at school together. Uh, really only got a chance to probably play once or twice while we were there. Um, but when you said might be the best in the history of the game, I, I, I would challenge that. I, I hard to hard press not to say the best that ever played. Yeah, you win, you win <laughs> uh, on the on the lady side, and and I think more importantly, Annika's always been just a, a wonderful person. She's carried herself and represented her sport very well. Uh, her country, um, of course, her uh, her university as well. So uh, it's an honor to have her be a fellow Wildcat. And I did follow a little bit this weekend. Watched a little bit on TV. I watched him. Uh, I watched a lot of the, the, the golf on Saturday um, and uh, saw her take a two shot lead into Sunday and then kind of kept an eye on score. She, uh, she seemed to dominate on Sunday and, you know, an eight shot victory is amazing. So uh, real happy for her. And uh, I had a chance to play with her and uh, the father son um, a couple years ago, she brought her father, I brought mine and, and the four of us had a chance to compete together in round one. So it was a, a nice day for everyone. I think both of the fathers really appreciated it. And, and uh, it's nice for Annika and I and uh, her husband, Mike, to catch up a little bit. Yeah, and she had both her kids out there yesterday. Ava and Will were out walking the fairway with her going up the 72nd hole. So definitely a cool experience for Annika. Uh, but Jim, as you talked about your time at U of A, we spoke a little bit in the pre-championship press conference leading into the U.S. Senior Open. You talked about how you progressed at the right speed for you. You weren't, you know, maybe the, the number one top standout player in college, but, you know, a, a career that started really on the Nike tour and kind of built its way up, gained some momentum. You know, what did that time at the University of Arizona do for you? Well, I, I mean, I'm thankful that, you know, I, I spent four and a half years at school and, and that's a more than just golf. It's just a, you know, you grow up in life a little bit. I had a lot of fun in college. I enjoyed myself, but you also, uh, you know, you, you kind of go from a young man to an adult and, and realize, I realized very quickly kind of that early senior year that, uh, you know, school was about to end and, 
uh, I had my fun and it was time maybe to focus on a, a career and earning a living and, and what that next step would be. And, and as you mentioned, I wasn't kind of the can't miss kid coming out of college. We had a few of those guys at Arizona and some first team all Americans. And, and uh, you know, the blessing of that for me was that the expectations that you know, I, I think a lot of these, these young folks, you know, whether they're turning pro early or whether, they're leaving school with these high expectations that they're immediately going to come out and, and not only compete, but, you know, dominate, they're expected to play well in the PGA tour. And, you know, it just doesn't always work that way for everyone, right? You need to kind of progress at your own rate. And, and those high expectations sometimes can, can damage a young player. And I just never had to deal with that. You know, really the highest expectations that were put on me were from within on me myself. So, uh, I was able to kind of progress at my own rate and I did so very quickly. Um, you know, I was able to make it out to the PGA tour. Uh, you know, I went to my first, first Q school and played on what's now the corn Ferry uh, tour uh, for a season. And then went back to Q school and, and got a PGA tour card and, and, and never looked back. So I was able to kind of progress and, and, and get to the, you know, upper ranks of the PGA tour pretty quickly. And, and it was just very unexpected by most people. And, and, uh, and a lot of fun for me that I never really had to worry about what others thought or the expectations from the outside. Yeah, Jim, and I, I think a lot of people who who watch you, you know, they're always impressed by, by the swing and how you can replicate that. Where where's where did you learn that swing? I know your dad was really crucial in getting you into the game, but how did you kind of you know, hone in on that as the swing that was going to be the, the one that you want to stick with for your entire career? Yeah, my, my dad's a golf professional, so... Um, he was always my teacher. He was always on kind of the, the front end of fitting golf equipment. So I always had equipment that fit me very well. I was, you know, also had great instruction. And, um, I, I think my dad as a teacher is, is probably very, very underrated. Um, you know, and, and, uh, maybe doesn't get as much credit for my success as, as he should. I, I think he realized, you know, a good teacher doesn't try to teach everyone the same thing, right? They deal with, what their pupil is good at, how they, you know, everyone learns in a different fashion and, and a good teacher can communicate in a lot of different ways to different pupils. And my, my father realized that I wasn't very mechanically inclined, that I didn't learn real well through the swing mechanics. And we worked through uh, shot shapes and vision and, and feels. And uh, he just had maybe a little different way to talk to me and explain things to me. Um, and it resonated. And, and so really what, what he always taught me, I'd, you know, I, we didn't look at a lot of video of my swing and he always believed that what came natural was repeatable. Um, and my swing was very upright and very outside early on, but, uh, he felt like, you know, if we could just hone in on the fundamentals, uh, and, and make sure that my fundamentals were strong and, and sound that, uh, that natural ability. And, and I was a good athlete as a kid that that, that would come through and it would be repeatable under pressure. And so, uh, we really never tried to make my swing look like everyone else's or look more uh, conventional. Uh, you know, he just, he always wanted me to kind of have my own fingerprint in the game. And, and, uh, and he felt like by doing so, I'd be able to trust my swing. Well, you've certainly replicated that swing and pressure situations. And, and as we're talking about you growing up in suburban Pittsburgh, I'm going to turn the page towards obviously a very famous course in that area, Oakmont Country Club. You talked about the U.S. Amateur earlier. The U.S. Amateur will be at Oakmont next week, where a field of 312 of the world's best amateurs will, will take aim at that Havemeyer Trophy. Uh, you've had two runner-ups at Oakmont. You have three runner-ups in U.S. Open, seven top fives, but two of those runner-ups at Oakmont 
What makes Oakmont so special? And what do you expect from it from a match play perspective? Uh, it's it's honestly from tee to green, that is the hardest golf course I've ever played. And I think one of my most challenging days is the last U.S. Open we had there in 2016. I want to say we got rained out most of Thursday, and I didn't play any golf on Thursday. I had to play 36 holes on Friday uh, with Ernie Els and Angel Cabrera. So we were all pretty much in our you know mid to late 40s, and <laughs> we were dying by the end of that day. It was. Uh, <laughs> I think I ended up playing 30, 35 holes, maybe. Uh, we still had number nine to come in and finish on, but. Uh, it's just a grueling test from tee to green. Uh, the greens are very severe, uh, very quick. Uh, it, it's just a punishing golf course. And, and, uh, the setups, you know, uh, the USGA never eases up on the setups at Oakmont. It's a, it's a hard penal golf course. And, uh, it's one that it, it's, it's definitely won by, uh, you know, it's a war of attrition. You're, you're just trying to finish. And if you can, uh, keep it somewhere around par for four days, you're going to have a chance to win a golf tournament. So match play, um, you know, I guess I'd want to see the setup, right? I'd want to see if the USGA, you know, or the fairway is going to be a bit wider. Or are they going to allow guys to maybe try to attack a little bit more? Because, you know, when I think of match play, I think of options. You know, you're going to play conservative, you're going to play aggressive, you're going to fire to pin, you know, and, and so the U.S. Opens I've played there, you really didn't, you weren't afforded an luxury to be that aggressive. But uh, for the most part, it, it's a tough place to get in and get real aggressive and dominate making a bunch of birdies unless the setup dictates that. So be kind of interested to see uh, how it plays out. And I'll, I'll definitely watch a little bit on TV. What is the uh, what is the other course they're using in the qualifying? Because there's so many good ones in that area. They're going to use Longview as the stroke play co-host Monday Longview. and Tuesday. Okay. Yep. Great. Great. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I look forward to it. But uh, difficult, difficult golf course. And it's one of those places I think you know, if set up much like a U.S. Open, uh, you know, I could see, you know, guy winning a match play event. He definitely over par and around winning, winning, uh, winning matches for sure. Yeah, that is a tough course physically, mentally, every way it kind of breaks you down. And Jim, you mentioned playing 35 holes there in uh, in 2016 in the early rounds. Granted, these guys probably won't be in their in, won't be in their mid 40s when they're playing, but it is a 36 hole final that they'll have on Oakmont. So it certainly will be a challenge for them out there. Yes, yeah, it's, it's just it's just hard to stay that focused mentally, I guess, for that long, you know, without making a mistake here or there. And it's it's a uh, it's difficult. I think the in the final that that'll be key. Someone that can kind of keep his focus and stay on top of it for 36 holes will do really well. Now, you played in, in three U.S. Opens at Oakmont. Dave mentioned the two runner up finishes, but you also played in your very first one there in, in 1994, which happened to be Arnold Palmer's final U.S. Open. Uh, that he played you growing up in suburban Pittsburgh in Western Pennsylvania. I'm guessing that Arnold Palmer must've been a, a somewhat of an influence in your golf career growing up. What was it like being there in 1994 playing in your first major championship and having Arnold making that walk up the 18th being his last? Yeah, really, uh, I guess special, you know, I didn't really think about that being my first or, or that being his last, but, uh, I tied uh, Jack Nicholas that week, as a matter of fact, I think tied for 28th, if I remember correctly, uh, and tied Jack Nicholas. So uh, pretty cool memory. And uh, I just remember how hot it was. Uh, it was one of the hottest golf tournaments I've ever played in. Um, thankfully, it rained on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't break 80 in any, couldn't have broken 80 in any of the practice rounds. That was the the hardest most difficult test I'd ever seen. And, and I was pretty much petrified, uh, to go into Thursday morning. And thankfully it rained a little bit Wednesday night, softened up the golf course. 
Um, I think I, sh- I shot maybe a 76 in round one and then came back with a, a really good round in round two, with like a 69 to make the cut. So, uh, you know, to play in your first major, to do it in my home state uh, and real close to where mom, my mom and dad grew up within about 20 minutes of Oakmont and my grandma uh, eventually uh, going into that. Uh, she was in a retirement home there, kind of to the right side of the 18th fairway uh, for a number of years. So kind of that area is special to my family. And, and, uh, I was able to win a family house event at, uh, at Oakmont. So it's a golf course that I don't know if I ever look forward to playing Oakmont cause it's so darn hard, but it's treated me really well. And I've had a lot of success there. It's a tremendous golf course. We can't wait to get there for the USM or the U S open in a few years there at Oakmont country club as well. And, and Jim talk about all the things you've done all on the golf course and we could go all day, but the things you've done off, off the golf course are quite admirable as well. I wanted to focus in on the Jim and Tabitha Furick foundation and just talk about your philanthropical efforts there and just giving back and, and what that's all about. Yeah, we started our foundation in 2010. Um, it was around, we, we had always supported a number of different uh, charities here in the Jacksonville area and just felt like I had a great year in 2010 and, and felt like it was a, a, a wonderful time and a great opportunity to start our foundation. Uh, my wife uh, runs the foundation. It's a, it's a full-time volunteer job, <laughs> I like to say. Um, and I'm really proud of her work and our community and, and, and all that she's done. And and really, the mission statement uh, has always been to help children and families in need uh, in Northeast Florida. And we also have a, a bit of a military uh, reach as well. And uh, it's just it's been a kind of a labor of love and, and, and something that it's just grown and grown and grown over the last uh, 11 years. And now it's kind of uh, turning into something special. And this fall, we're going to our, our foundation is going to host our first uh, PGA Tour Champions event. So. We have a brand new Champions Tour event here in Jacksonville, the uh, Constellation Furyk and Friends. And, um, you know, we, we were hosting a, a golf tournament in the past. It was raising about a half a million dollars. But, you know, now partnering and being part of the PGA Tour and, and the Champions Tour schedule. And um, we have a wonderful golf course in Timaquana Country Club. It's a wonderful sponsor in Constellation. It's going to allow us to raise a lot more money here in Northeast Florida and and uh, and do a lot more work. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're proud of of, uh, I'm really proud of Tabitha and I'm proud of everything that she's accomplished, but, uh, we're kind of proud of our taking our next step and, and all the work that we were able to do here in Jacksonville. Oh, you guys have done a great job giving back to the game. And, uh, you know, if, if there's some extra tickets floating around for that Darius Rucker and Scotty McCreary concert, Jim, just let us know. That sounds like that'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. It's nice. Nice of Darius. He's, he's played for us twice. This will now be his third time at our event. He's been a huge supporter and, and Scotty's been wonderful as well. He's been a couple of times. So both great people and uh, couldn't thank them enough for their help. So that will be at uh, Daly's place down at the uh, Jaguar Stadium. So uh, on Tuesday night. So uh, looking forward to it. It's a, it's a busy week. We've got a Monday Pro-Am, a Tuesday concert, a Wednesday Pro-Am, Thursday Pro-Am, and then three rounds of uh, tournament golf Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So uh, if I'm not tired by Friday, I'll be amazed, but uh, I'm looking forward to it so much. Uh, we thought the U.S. Amateur was a gauntlet. This sounds like that'll be a heck of a week for you down there. <laughs> it's a lot. We Yeah, we went from a day and a half event to uh, a full seven days. So uh, it's been a lot of hard work. We've got a great, great, small, we had a small team here for our, our, our tournament, but uh, we've got a great team and, and, uh, and, and Tabitha's working hard on it. So we're really, uh, like I said, we're really excited. And, uh, you know, for folks out there listening, you can check us out on the Constellation Furyk and Friends or go to the Jim and Tabitha Furyk Foundation. Uh, dot com and, and check out what we're trying to do. 
Well, we'll certainly be watching, Jim. We just want to thank you so much for joining us today. And again, congratulations on taking home the U.S. Senior Open down in Omaha. That was a really fun week and just great to see you hoist that trophy on the 18th green. So so wishing you all the best. We'll certainly see you at the Country Club next year, if not before. But uh, again, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you all. Thank you. And while we know Jim Furyk, Annika Sorenstam, and John Rahm, among others, will be on the 2021 plaque in the USGA Hall of Champions, we'll find out the next two names joining that list very, very soon. Tune in to the U.S. Women's Amateur from Westchester Country Club on Golf Channel this week and then next week as we talked about it. Oakmont, the U.S. Amateur, what more could you ask for? It's on Peacock Golf Channel and NBC Wednesday through Sunday, so check your local listings. For our guest, Jim Furyk, and my co-host, Mike Trosel, I'm Dave Giancola, and we will talk to you next time.